Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Rob O'Hara. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Ghostbusters. Now, what does this game have in common with the stern arcade game Berserk? Listen to this episode to find the answer to this trivia question. Now, before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. So welcome back to another full episode of Sprite Castle. We had a mini episode last week to talk about virtual fireworks, but we are back in the saddle again for another full episode. I did get some feedback on episode 30. That was the game uh, Sword of Fargol that we talked about there. I got a lot of um, not specific feedback, but just people saying, I remember that game and I really liked it. That was a... Uh, an early game that I had on my Commodore, and I played it a lot. I think um, Temple of Apshai got um, possibly more playtime, and I didn't realize this, but Temple of Apshai uh, was available as a cartridge. So I think a lot of early Commodore 64 owners who didn't have a disk drive played a lot of cartridge games, so I think that might be why more people remember Temple of Apshai. And then, of course... Uh, you know, Epics took that game and, and ran with it with the whole uh, Gateway to Apshai, um, the trilogy of games. Uh, I mentioned on episode 30 that there is a Kickstarter for the new uh, Sword of Fargo game, Sword of Fargo 2. I didn't realize that it had not been updated. It looks like for over a year. So I uh, tweeted to the author and uh, I didn't get a response back, and I uh, sent him a message, too, and I also didn't get a response. So I don't know what the status of that is. Um, obviously, it's a closed Kickstarter, so you can't donate money to it now anyway, but um, I don't know. I don't, you know, there's, of course, there's lots of Kickstarters that don't uh, ever make it. I mean, even ones that are, are funded, but nothing comes out. But I hope this one does, just because, um, you know, that the uh, Jeff guy, he seemed like a nice guy. And I know a lot of people have a lot of fond memories of the original and would like to see this remake come out. So hopefully uh, that uh, that makes it to fruition. I also got an email from Justin Stewart, who sent me a bunch of Commodore 64 alert sounds. I've been a little behind on doing the Commodore 64 um, uh, sounds and ringtones and stuff. It's something I really want to do. I want to build that library up. Um, and he sent me a bunch of great sounds from Yi'ar Kung Fu and Terra Cresta, Arkanoid, Green Beret, a whole bunch of different things. So, uh, if you have forgot about that, or if you haven't checked it in a while, go to Sprite Castle and up at the top, uh, you will find 
a link to all the C64 alert sounds and ringtones, and those are in both uh, MP3 format, if you have an Android or Windows phone, and also I convert them over to, I think it's M4R format, uh, which is, uh, you should be able to drop right onto your iPhone. So uh, you could use them for your computer. You could use them for whatever. You could just go click on them all day long and have a good old time <laughs> if you wanted. Uh, but uh, thanks again to Justin for sending those in. Uh, and, you know, and, and if you have any sounds or little sound bites, if you want them as ringtones, I try to keep them around 30 seconds. And then the uh, sound things, you know, anywhere from a second to five seconds, somewhere in there. But if you have some from Commodore 64 games that you want to submit and add to the library, then you could just email those write to me and I will, and you only have to send them in one format uh, and I'll do all the converting and stuff like that. So if you have those, you can email them to me and I will add them to the site. Uh, as for news, uh, right off the bat, I want to say thanks to everyone who has jumped on uh, the Patreon thing. It has been a big success. Uh, I'm so glad, uh, you know, I see a lot of the names uh, of people who have signed up that are the same as uh, it's you guys that have been supporting me since day one. So I really appreciate it. My first official purchase for uh, this podcast or for my podcast with my Patreon funds was a new pop filter for this microphone. And uh, it doesn't seem to work very well. <laughs> I just listened to uh, listen back to the last uh, the fireworks construction kit episode and I heard a lot of popping peas. I used to use a, uh, a like a little windscreen that I bought, and it's it works really well, but it's uh, kind of convoluted the way I have to mount it to this microphone stand. So I'm using the new pop filter, but I have scooted back from the microphone a little bit. So hopefully this will make a difference and sound better. And if not, then uh, the first Patreon purchase will have been a failure, and this will... Uh, I don't know what I'll do with it. <laughs> I'll make it a, a hat for a, a 12 inch uh, star Wars figure. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, we'll also hear about, uh, my second purchase that I made with, uh, our Patreon funds for this month on this week's talking snack. And we're going to be having a giveaway. It's going to be real exciting. So stay tuned for all that information. Uh, I got interviewed recently by podcast pals. That is a website that, uh, listens to different podcasts and the guys over there found uh, my podcast. They found this podcast specifically, they're old Commodore 64 fans. And so we did an interview. It turned out really well. And so I will add uh, the uh, link to the interview in the show notes. You can go check that out and check out podcast pals. It's a really cool site. They, uh, they really go find like the best uh, podcasts from different genres and, and, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of good podcasts out there, but there's a lot of bad ones too. And and sometimes you have to listen to a lot of crap before you find the good stuff. So they they do that work for you. They they sort through and they find the good stuff. So it's definitely a, a site worth checking out if you listen to a lot of, a lot of podcasts. I've already found a few uh, new ones there myself, actually. So yeah, Podcast Pals, pretty cool, pretty cool site they have set up over there. Uh, there is a new. Commodore related book in the works on Kickstarter. Seems like there's a new one uh, about every week now, but this one is the Gremlin Archive. Uh, it's it's uh, all about Gremlin Graphics Limited. If you remember, they were a publishing company on the Commodore 64. I just searched through Lemon 64 uh, for 
Gremlin graphics games, and a few of the ones that popped up that I remember are um, Avenger, Blood Brothers, Dark Fusion, Future Night, Jack the Nipper 1 and 2, uh, Lotus Esprit, that was a good one, Masters of the Universe, Monty Mole, Skate Crazy, that was a good game, uh, Supercars, just lots and lots of cool titles. So uh, looking at uh, the website, which is gremlinarchive.com, it looks like this is going to be another one of those uh, books with lots of big, colorful graphic pictures of, of uh, 8-bit games, so it looks pretty cool. If you're into that, you could go check out Gremlin's website. Um, big news since the last episode on the 1541 Ultimate. I am a owner of the 50, original, I have an original model of the 1541 Ultimate. I would not, I mean, it is the number one accessory uh, that I have now for my Commodore 64. I can't imagine, uh, I mean, if you're a serious Commodore you know, you, you have the real hardware. I mean, I just can't imagine living without one of these at this point. Uh, and there's been several different models and there is a new model about to come out called the 1541 ultimate two plus. Now there has been a two for a while and, uh, the two plus adds a few new things. Uh, one of the big changes is, uh, now the original, the one that I have uses SD cards, the, uh, Two uses, I believe, micro SD cards, uh, but they're doing away with that, and Gideon is switching over to USB ports. So it's going to have three USB ports, and you'll be able to copy, you know, Commodore 64, your D64 files or whatever you have, straight onto a USB key and just plug it in and access them that way. So uh, sounds like it's going to take up, that would take up more space than what I have now, but. Uh, you know, you have the advantage of being able to just plug it into your machine and move, move, uh, your files over. Uh, and I think there were a lot of problems with the micro SD, like being so small, having to, to really cram it in to get it to work and stuff. So, um, but also the ultimate two plus is going to include an onboard ethernet port. Now that is something that, uh, they experimented before on an earlier version and then got away from my current one does not have that. So that will be exciting. Uh, you'll just be able to plug a network cable right into it and get your Commodore 64 online. So that will be, uh, really handy. And it also comes with an internal speaker. Um, the 1541 ultimate has the ability to emulate the original disc drive sounds when it's loading and, and, uh, and all those types of things, but you have to plug in external speakers to hear those. Well, with an internal speaker, it will just automatically play those sounds. And I'm sure there will be a feature to turn that on and off, but uh, I think I'll leave it on. That sounds pretty cool to me. And of course, unlike my original 1541 ultimate, the two, two and two plus, uh, come in a case. And that's one of my fears with my original 1541 ultimate is that I'm going to spill something on it or you know, drop something on it. So it would be nice to have a, a case. So it looks like, uh, it's, um, I, I just did a pre-order on mine and it came to 137 euros. Um, and thanks to, I believe Brexit and, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a pretty good exchange rate right now. It looks like it's going to be about 150 us, which is a good price. I think I paid closer to 200 for my original one. So um, if you're interested at all in that, go check out um, uh, 1541ultimate.net 
and uh, let Gideon know, do a pre-order, or just go ahead and pay now if you know that you want one of these things. Like I said, I uh, I I couldn't live without one at this point. I mean, you know, having a physical 64 setup um, and just being able to load, you know, anything from the library immediately, it's very, very, very useful. So, um, and I also found a article about um, the SynthCart 64 version 2, which is... Uh, the original SynthCart 64 was made by Paul Slocum. This one is too. Uh, the version 2 has some updates. It is compatible with the piano keyboard overlay. Uh, it's added some MIDI interface carts that it's compatible with. Um, you can put a, a paddle, like an Atari paddle, in controller port 2, or the old Commodore paddle, and um, you know, do like arpeggios and things like that. Um, so that seems pretty cool. And it also supports a second SID chip now for if you want to do stereo uh, or six voice sounds. So um, I found that there's a little review for it over on IndieRetroNews.com, who apparently has got rid of their RSS feed. I cannot find an RSS feed for them now. And that's really how I go find all the the uh, news for the show. And I've emailed them and haven't got a response yet. So um, um, unfortunately, it looks like... Uh, uh, they've, they've dropped their feed, which, which is a bummer. Um, I also, uh, saw on vintage is the new old, uh, which is a great Commodore 64 related site, uh, that Tosec has a new release. It's been about six months since the last Tosec release. Uh, Tosec stands for the old school emulation center and they have released a new Commodore 64 pack. I'm downloading the dat pack right now. Uh, as I'm recording this, so I'm going to check it out this afternoon. It looks like it's about 60 meg uh, of Commodore 64 goodness, so that uh, will definitely be worth checking out if you uh, are always looking for Commodore 64 stuff. That's a great... Um, uh, the Tosec archives are always uh, uh, always good to check out, so um, you can find it on uh, their website. Of course, I'll have the links to that. Uh, and finally, I got an email from Oscar. I'm going to mess up your last name, Oscar. Uh, Vermulen. I hope that's right. Uh, and Oscar contacted me to let me know that there will be a vintage computer festival going on this year in Switzerland. Uh, and so all the details are being posted on their website, which is vcfe.ch. Uh, there is a, a flyer, a PDF flyer available. If you want to go check that out, you can download it and, and, um, spread it around. There's all kinds of, I mean, it's, uh, uh, I looked through some of the events and, and the exhibits that they have planned. It looks really cool. Chances of me getting to Switzerland are, uh, pretty slim this year. But, uh, um, if you are anywhere near there that I hope you go check it out. It is November 19th and 20th of 2016. Uh, so again, if you go check out the website, you can see some of the things that are on there. Uh, the, the theme is computing through the decades. So there's going to be lots of, you know, cool stuff to go check out. As always, they're going to have a repair corner. They're going to have a computer nerd quiz. If you want to go try to, uh, compete with other nerds, uh, there's a flea market. There's a soldering workshop. There's going to be a retro party over the weekend where they're going to be playing Sid music and just all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, if you are, uh, anywhere near, like I said, near Switzerland, uh, I believe it's Zurich. Uh, I have to double check that, but you could go to vcfe.ch and, um, I hope 
that at least one listener will make it out there and send me some notes after that takes place. So I'll mention it again closer to November, but uh, yeah, spread the word on that. It's a cool deal. Now let's get to this episode's King of the Castle and some news about this episode's King of the Castle contest. King of the Castle for this episode is Nils. Nils uh, correctly identified the song in the Sword of Fargo episode as the theme to He-Man. The tie there was, of course, you know, He-Man and his goal of getting his magic sword and, of course, Sword of Fargo. And the game's goal is uh, to retrieve the magic sword. So they're both about magic swords. Um, And so Nils was the first person to hit me up with the proper response. Uh, so congratulations to Nils. You are this episode's king of the castle. But I think what I'm going to do, and definitely on this episode moving forward, uh, or this episode specifically, and maybe in the future, we'll see how it works, is I think instead of automatically making the king of the castle the first person to respond, I think what I'm going to do is collect all the correct responses and then have a drawing on the next episode and announce the King of the Castle that way. I think that's probably more fair. You know, I've tried uh, some different things, uh, you know, depending on when I post the show, because there's listeners in so many time zones in different countries now that it's, uh, it's, it's always never fair to somebody. So instead of having, you know, the first person, I think I'm going to do that drawing. So, and that's definitely what we're going to do on this episode. Um, so let me explain what's going on in this episode. Uh, as you're going to hear in Talking Snack, uh, there are some new limited edition Ghostbusters Twinkies. Uh, there is a, a Slimer Twinkie uh, that is key lime flavored, and there's also a Stay Puff Marshmallow Twinkie. And so uh, on Talking Snack, I'm going to talk a little bit more about those Twinkies, but I'm going to have two drawings on the next episode. Uh, one drawing is going to be for whoever sends me a successful response for this episode's King of the Castle. The other drawing will come from all of my Patreons. So if you are have already signed up on Patreon or you sign up anytime between now and the next episode, you will automatically be included on that list. So I'm going to do two different drawings, and the winner of each drawing will receive two of each of the kinds of Twinkies. Uh, and then maybe I'll throw something else in the box. Who knows? There's, there's always something laying around the old, uh, you don't know, flax studio here, uh, <laughs> to throw into a box. So, uh, but that's how it's going to work on this episode. So, uh, you know, everybody who responds on the King of the Castle will be entered in to win the next episode's King of the Castle. And the winner will also, uh, get some Twinkies in the mail. We'll work out uh, shipping and things like that. Uh, and also, again, if you are uh, one of my patrons, then you will also be automatically entered into a second drawing. So that will, you know, possibly if you enter in, uh, and you can enter in both. If you're a patron and you enter in the King of the Castle, then you'll your name will be in both lists. So uh, good on you. Good luck to everybody. Uh, if you would like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in this episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. For example, the He-Man theme uh, and Sword of Fargo. So, 
Again, we're changing it up. It won't be the first person, but if you know the answer, send it to me either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voicemail box, and you will be entered in a drawing to win the next King of the Castle. All those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. And those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paperboy who just ran into one of the tombstones in my neighbor's yard. That's rad. No idea why there are tombstones in my neighbor's yard. I've been meaning to ask him about that. But anyway, now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So there is a tie-in with Twinkies and the original Ghostbusters. There's the scene where they uh, have the Twinkie and they they think that, um, you know, it's being affected by the PK levels in the city. And I guess that is why Hostess has decided to do an official tie-in to Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters, which comes out this week uh, with Twinkies. And so what they have done is released two different limited edition flavors of Twinkies. The first is a key lime Twinkie. The other one is a uh, white chocolate or white fudge marshmallow Twinkie. Uh, And so, you know, I really wanted to try one of each of those for this show. And so uh, my wife said uh, she was going to the store. I said, hey, there's some limited edition Twinkies uh, that are Ghostbusters. Will you pick some up? She said she would. She came home and had a regular pack of Twinkies with the Ghostbusters logo on it, which is not what I wanted. So uh, we went back, then we went to Target, and Target doesn't have them. And so this was multiple times. Uh, and then eventually we went to Walmart. And Walmart, we went right back to where the snack cakes were, and there weren't any. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. But on the way out, we stopped by the bakery, and there was a huge display set up there. So, uh, and, and what's funny is we go in the other entrance. When we go to Walmart, we don't go by the bakery. So uh, we did eventually get a box of each. Um, and um, so while uh, I was playing the game, I decided to try one of each of the Twinkies. Now, you're going to get to see that in the bonus YouTube footage. So if you haven't been watching uh, the bonus YouTube video clips. You want to go check that out. The, there's a link to the video right in the show notes, so you could click on that. Uh, and if um, the highlight of your day is watching me eat Twinkies, boy, is your day going to be great because <laughs> I eat uh, one of the key lime ones and talk about that, and I eat one of these Stay Puff marshmallow ones. Uh, the the Stay Puff one, the uh, you know white chocolate was very untwinky like I thought, but, um, anyway, so you could go, uh, you could go watch that. I don't know that I personally identify Twinkies with Ghostbusters, but with the tie in, you know, I thought, well, that would be, uh, something fun to do. I do want to give shout outs to dinosaur Dracula and sexy armpit from the purple stuff podcast. And both those guys have their own websites as well. Uh, but, uh, when I mentioned on Twitter that I was looking for, uh, these limited edition Ghostbusters Twinkies, they both kind of came to my, uh, to my rescue and, and gave me some pointers as to where to find them. Uh, and also Sean Robert from Branded in the eighties, uh, volunteered to mail me either a high C or one of the Twinkies. There's also a high C ecto cooler. Uh, so lots of, uh, people on Twitter, uh, jumped to the rescue and offered, 
to hook me up. Fortunately, I was able to find some uh, at uh, at Walmart. But uh, thank you to to you guys who who offered to. Uh, I mean, you know, when you just look at me, you think that guy needs a few more Twinkies in his life. <laughs> I don't know that anybody thinks that, but, uh, uh, but thanks to everybody who offered to hook me up, but, uh, I was able to find the Twinkies. And like I said, on the video, uh, you will see me eating Twinkies with a Ghostbusters logo on them. And speaking of Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters was published for the Commodore 64 in 1984 by Activision. It is a game for one player that uses basically joystick controls. There's a little bit of keyboard stuff, but for the most part, it is joystick. And by the way, one of the reasons I mentioned that is because um, I'm trying to add a lot of these games to my uh, computer, my emulator computer that I have in the living room. So it's always good to know if you can run the complete game just from a joystick or if you're going to need uh, a keyboard or a virtual keyboard to get past uh certain parts of the game. So you do need a keyboard on this game to uh, play it. Um, as I mentioned, this is an Activision game, and we uh, I just, on the last episode, talked about Hero, Little Computer People, and the uh, Fireworks Celebration Kit. So uh, we've covered lots of stuff from Activision. Uh, anything else from the programmer? Well, this game was programmed by David Crane. Uh, David Crane is... Very famous programmer, uh, known for all his work on Activision and with Atari. Uh, David Crane wrote uh, Laser Blast, Dragster, Fish and Derby, Freeway, lots of classic Activision titles for the 2600. Uh, of course, he's probably most well-known for Pitfall uh, 1 and 2. And he did Little Computer People, which we have uh, covered on this show as well. So, uh, David Crane, uh, famous guy. Now, <clears throat> um Ghostbusters was David Crane's ninth release for Activision. Um, and uh, this was a little quote I found from Ahoy magazine. It said that they had, quote, never so thoroughly enjoyed playing or even watching a game as entertaining as this one. Uh, then it says Activision may uh, accomplish what few, if any, have been able to do, which is successfully release a video or computer game derived from a major motion picture. Uh, Ghostbusters achieved unprecedented sales in the United States, throughout Europe, and Japan. Ghostbusters! <laughs> Let's get into the review of the game. Obviously, the pop culture context that this was released in. Uh, it came on the heels of the 1984 classic film, Ghostbusters. Uh, we have talked about Ghostbusters on throwbackreviews.com. Sean and I talked about that movie. Uh, it was the first time Sean had ever seen it, which was kind of weird for me because I grew up uh, watching and loving Ghostbusters. Uh, and obviously, the tie-in for this episode is that the new Ghostbusters movie 
is going to be released later this week. So we will see. Uh, and there's been a lot of controversy about it, so we'll see how it uh, stands up to the original. There are two different stories online that I found about the origins of this game. One uh, was that David Crane took the Activision team to go see Ghostbusters, and when they came back, they started working on the game. Uh, the other story I read was that Gary Kitchens, uh, also from Activision, got a call from Columbia Pictures wanting to uh, get Activision involved in a Ghostbusters game. Uh, so, and, and probably it could be both of those stories could both be true. Uh, but either way, this game did not start out as a Ghostbusters game. This was actually a game that David Crane was working on that involved driving, you know, large sprited cars around a city where you would do different things. And uh, once they had the Ghostbusters license, uh, it got turned into a Ghostbusters game. The box is pretty iconic. I mean, it's black. It has a large Ghostbusters logo in the background. And then we have uh, Bill Murray. On the front, as Peter Vinkman, we have Dan Aykroyd as Raymond Stance, and we have Harold Ramis as Egon Spengler, uh, who we don't have is Ernie Hudson as Winston Zedmore. Now, this is uh, interesting. Uh, just like the cartoon, Activision did not get rights to include the likenesses of the actors in the actual game. So... Um, there are three Ghostbusters that appear in the game, but they all look identical and they're all white. So there's no hint of Ernie Hudson in the game and Ernie Hudson was left off uh, the front cover of the game too. So, uh, Ernie Hudson definitely got, uh, got the shaft <laughs> when it came to, uh, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters billing, uh, and all those things. So this game was released on cartridge cassette tape and floppy disk. Uh, and the manual is kind of important to this game. You can play it without the manual, but uh, like a lot of games, it's hard to beat the game for sure. And it's hard to know exactly what the goal of the game is without reading the manual. Um, so when you fire up the game, you get the Ghostbusters logo. Uh, you get a bunch of information. Uh, it says Activision presents Ghostbusters, a 1984 copyright for Activision. It says that Ghostbusters is a trademark of Columbia Pictures. There's a whole bunch of legalese on this page. Um, it says that the Ghostbuster music and lyrics were written by Ray Parker Jr. We're going to hear the Ghostbusters theme uh, play shortly right after you get past the title screen. And there's also a note here that says software speech is copyrighted 1984 by Electronic Speech Systems of Berkeley, California. I want to spend just a couple of minutes talking about um, the software speech used in this game. It was done by, uh, ESS technology and that's electronic speech systems. It was founded by Fred Chan and professor Forrest Moser. Um, so this is what I found about these guys. It says professor Moser became interested in speech technology when a blind student in his class in 1970 asked if he could help create a talking calculator. So he worked on this talking calculator for about five, uh, five years, and the technology that he developed appeared in uh, a chip. It was called the CRC chip. Um, it says more commonly known as the 14001A, although I don't know that that's very commonly known. Uh, but it was the first self-contained speech synthesizer chip, and that chip 
was used, it says, in several arcade games, including notably Atari's Wolfpack and Stern's Electronic uh, Frenzy and Berserk. So there's your tie-in with Berserk and the game Ghostbusters. It was also the same chip that was used in several of Stern's pinball machines. Now, ESS went on to... um, licensed this technology out and they licensed it to the Commodore 64. And that is uh, what appears in this game. It says that the two most famous examples of it on the Commodore 64 were the Ghostbusters. And then of course the speech from uh, impossible mission, the another visitor stay a while, stay forever. So those are two examples of ESS's work on the Commodore 64. It says it also appeared in Cave of the Word Wizard, Kennedy Approach, Beachhead 2, and 221B Baker Street. So those are some other examples that used uh, the ESS speech. Uh, Their company went on to uh, work on, uh, they created the auto drive chip, which was used on PC sound cards, and they're still in business today. So, uh, but these are their their beginnings back in the uh, 70s and 80s with talking calculators and Commodore 64 games. When you bypass that title screen, you get to the first menu. There you will see the Ghostbusters logo. Uh, You will hear the song play. uh, And there's a very famous thing, the follow the bouncing ball. So the lyrics aren't aren't recorded and played. You will hear the song, but you won't hear the lyrics. But the lyrics will scroll by and you'll see a bouncing ball uh, that you can follow along if you want to sing the song. And also on that screen, anytime you press the space bar, the game will just say Ghostbusters. Uh, so, yeah, very uh, impressive opening for this game. It's the kind of thing back then that that could have been an entire demo, and we would have been impressed with that. But <laughs> that's just what kicks off the game. Uh, we get to the first menu, and it says Ghostbusters for professional paranormal investigations and eliminations. We're ready to believe you. To form a Ghostbusters franchise in your city, please state your name last comma first. So this is where you're going to put your name. It's going to ask you if you have already played, and if not, it's going to give you a bank loan. And that's the money that you're going to use to buy the car and the equipment that you use to play the game. Uh, You start off with $10,000. And in general, what you do in the first part is buy a car, equip it, uh, and then take it hunting for ghosts. Now, there are four cars that you can purchase. The first is a compact car. It's $2,000, and it could carry five items. Uh, and the top speed is 75 miles per hour. Now, the speed on these is how fast you can drive from one building to another. It's not a huge effect on the game, I don't think. I don't notice that much between um, the different cars. Uh, Then there's the 1963 hearse, and that is the car from the movie. And if you watch the bonus video, that is the car I chose. Uh, It could carry nine items. It's $4,800 and does 90 miles an hour. Then there's a station wagon, uh, which is $6,000 and carries 11 items and does 110 miles an hour. But the problem is, if you pay for this, you won't have, if you're just starting the game for the first time, you won't have enough money to buy all the equipment that you need. And finally, there is a high-performance sports car uh, for 15000 which if you're just starting out, you can't afford at all. It carries seven items and does 160 miles an hour. Uh, If you choose this later on, you're going to need the portable laser confinement system. And we'll talk about what that is in just a moment. Now, once you've purchased your car, you go to the next part of the setup, which is you uh, equip your car with all the ghost busting equipment that you need. 
Uh, there is the, and now this is something where if you just pirated the game, you would buy these things, but you wouldn't know exactly what effect they had on the game. But in the manual, it tells you what they do. So there's the PK energy detector. That's 400 bucks. You need one of those. That tells you what the PK uh, rate is for the whole city. And, and um, you need to have earned back all your money before it reaches 10,000. So that's important to have. Uh, there's the image uh, intensifier. That's $800. And as you go try to capture Slimer from different buildings, um, if you have this, he will appear in front of the building. If you don't have this, he appears behind the building, and it's much more difficult to catch him. So this is another one you definitely want to have. There's the marshmallow sensor for $800 that tells you when the marshmallow man is coming. If you don't know when he's coming, then he just shows up, tramples a building, and it charges you $3,000. Um, if you do have this, then you can lay down some marshmallow bait if you have that as well. Uh, and he will come to you, to your car, and you can capture him instead of him uh, uh, trampling one of the buildings. Uh, there's the ghost bait. And that's $400, and again, that's what I was just talking about. That's what you use to um, uh, capture the Marshmallow Man to keep him from trampling uh, on a building. So instead, you get you earn 2000 if you lay this down and you capture him. Uh, then there are traps. The traps are what you use to capture the ghosts. Um, you need to have a minimum of three. Usually, I try to get five if I can afford it. And... Um, uh, you can empty the traps by going to ghost headquarters. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, so you'll find yourself doing that a lot throughout the game. Now, if you have the portable laser confinement system, it basically empties your traps for you. Uh, so each time you use a trap to capture a ghost, it just goes into the portable laser confinement system. The problem with this is that it costs $8,000. So there's no way to afford it unless you've beaten the game multiple times or if you cheat, and we'll talk about that here very shortly. Um, I, I found a Ghostbusters FAQ, and it says what it recommends is getting the hearse, the 63 hearse, and then loading it up with the PK detector, the marshmallow sensor, ghost bait, five traps, and the ghost vacuum. I forgot about the ghost vacuum. That allows you to literally vacuum up ghosts that you pass when you're driving around. And those ghosts that you vacuum don't take up a spot in your trap. So uh, that's an easy way to earn money that doesn't really cost you much game time. Um, now, when you enter in your name, you may have put in your name and uh, told it that you haven't played before. But uh, there were names and combinations built into the game that would start you off with a lot of money. The one I always used was when it asks for your name last comma first, you just type in Owen, O-W-E-N. Uh, and when it asks for your account number, you type list. And that starts you off with $720,000, which is more than enough money to buy everything in the game, you know, hundreds of times over. Uh, so there are other ones that you can put in there. For example, if you put no name at all and start your account number at 458, it will start you off at a million dollars. Now, the problem with this game is I believe the cutoff, um, kind of like the old 8-bit problem, you know, with Donkey Kong and uh, Pac-Man, I believe once you hit a million dollars, it kind of messes up the game and so you can't actually beat the game. 
Uh, so that's a good one if you just want to play and buy everything, but I don't think you can actually beat the game with that one. Uh, now, I found a website called uh, cynicsystems.com. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's not .com. It's cynicsystems.tk forward slash ghostbusters.php. If you go to this website, you can generate, they have reverse engineered the system that this game uses. So you could go type in your own name and how much money you want to start with, and it will give you the code. And then you could start this game with any amount of money that you want. So, uh, I mean, the Owen and List, that one should get, I mean, that one will work for anybody. But if you want to create your own, I thought that was a really neat thing that somebody did, actually reverse engineering the list. So uh, once you have your car and it's equipped, now it's time to go busting. And so from here on, there are going to be three main screens that you see until you get to the ending of the game. You've got the map screen, you have the driving screen, and then you have the building screen. Um, and so uh, basically what you're supposed to do is capture as many ghosts as you can and earn as much money before the key master uh, and the gatekeeper meet up and they meet up at Zool when the PK rating is at 10,000. This is all things that are explained in the manual, not necessarily in the game. So when you're playing the game, if you didn't read the manual, like I didn't as a kid, I had no idea what was really going on, but that's uh, the basis of the game. Now, um, uh, if you haven't earned enough money to pay back your bank loan, when the gatekeeper and keymaster meet up, then your game ends. Uh, but if you have earned your money back, then you will face the marshmallow man. And so we'll talk about that here. Um, now, sometimes as you're driving around, you will see the gatekeeper, you'll see the little key, and you'll see a little padlock floating around. There's nothing you can do with them. Uh, you will just see them you know, roaming around the streets, but they don't affect anything in the game. It's just a reminder uh, that they're there. But on the map, uh, you will see ghosts floating around in the streets, uh, and then you will see a whole bunch of buildings, uh, and the buildings at different times will flash colors. Uh, there will be uh, purple, which means there is a potential for a ghost uh, to be there. There's red, which means there's definitely a ghost there. And there's white, which means the Marshmallow Man is about to attack it. So if you see white, uh, that's when you want to get ready to lay down your uh, ghost bait and draw the uh, Marshmallow Man away from that building. Down at the bottom of the map is Ghostbusters Headquarters. That's where you go empty your ghost traps and also unslime your guys. Uh, so whenever your, your people don't really die in this game, uh, I mean, you can, you know, knock them out by crossing the streams or you can get them slimed uh, by, by missing Slimer whenever you try to capture him, but they don't ever die. Uh, you just take them back to Ghost Headquarters and they get refreshed. Uh, so you, you get to play until, you know, that PK meter hits 10,000, no matter what happens. Uh, and again, when the marshmallow man, when you see that white flashing, you hit B and that's what drops your ghost bait. And that will, um, uh, lead him away from the building. So when you get to a building that has a ghost, uh, what you're going to do is drop off your trap. So, uh, it's pretty easy to do. It's hard to explain, but it's easy to do. Uh, you start off with a Ghostbuster, you move him around and drop your trap. Usually I drop it in the middle of the screen. Then you maneuver one Ghostbuster to one side, another Ghostbuster to the other side, and you press the button and they turn their streams on. So when you press right, you're moving the left Ghostbuster towards the right, towards the center of the screen. 
when you press left, it automatically moves the other Ghostbusters. So you can't move them away from the trap. You can only move them towards one another. So the idea is you want to trap the ghost in the middle of the streams where your trap is. So once you do that, you press the button that shoots your trap under the air and hopefully you will catch uh, the little Slimer. If you don't catch him, uh, then he will slime one of your guys and fly away. Um, so, and, and then again, your guy's not really dead. You just take him back to Ghostbusters headquarters and, and uh, rejuvenate him. Um, and, uh, you know, each time that you catch one, your credit rating goes up a little bit. So you earn the money, but also it takes up one of your traps. So after you've captured two or three of guys, then, uh, you know, depending on how many traps you have, you have to go back to Ghostbusters headquarters and empty out your traps. Um, now when I was a kid, I thought that's all there was to this game. I didn't realize, uh, that, you know, the whole thing about Zool and, and the gatekeeper and the key master meeting up, uh, but that's what you're building up to. Now, also on the map screen, like I said, you will see these yellow ghosts uh, slowly moving. Later on, they move much faster. If you, When you plot out your little plot where your car is going to go, uh, if you touch one of those ghosts, they will freeze. And then you go to the driving portion of the game. So you drive around. Uh, you'll see a big, large overhead uh, interpretation of your car. And you will encounter those ghosts in the street. You just press your button and you will, if you have the vacuum cleaner, you will vacuum them up. So, uh, again, it doesn't take up a spot in your trap. It keeps the PK rating down and it earns you money. So that's a, a big part of the game. You want to be doing that. Uh, eventually the, uh, gatekeeper and the key master meet at Zool when your PK rating of the city is at 10,000. Again, if you haven't earned enough money to pay back the bank at this point, your game ends. If you have, then you go to the Marshmallow Man scene and you will see uh, the base of the building and the Marshmallow Man will be jumping around the building and you have to run either between his legs or from the left-hand side and run into the entry of the door. It's harder than it sounds. And if you watch uh, the video, I will play that part, but I'm using a cheat thing to get to it and, and I'll explain all that. But that way you can see the whole, uh, the whole part of the game. Uh, and then once you get through, the game is over. Um, you have to get two guys through, and then you get a bonus from the city, and the game ends, and then you would uh, it gives you a new bank account code with more money, and when you restart the game, then you use the same name and that new code, and you would start with more money. So that's how you would play over and over and build up to buy uh, the sports car or um, you know the, the laser confinement unit, things like that that you can't uh, afford. Um, the prices for different things I don't think are in the manual. I looked through the manual and I did not see the prices that you earn, but I did find an FAQ that had them. It said capturing a Slimer is worth somewhere between $300 and $1,000, that it's random. Uh, when the Marshmallow Man destroys a building, it charges you, this is $4,000. The manual says $3,000. Capturing the Marshmallow Man earns you $2,000, and then defeating Zool gets you $5,000. So it would actually take me in the game multiple times to uh, be able to afford some of those more expensive items. Uh, the highest score listed on RetroComputerScene.com in one game is $37,500. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, um, you know, <laughs> what the benchmark is for this game. So the reviews for this game when it came out were really, really good. Computer and Video Game Magazine gave it 9 out of 10. Commodore Horizons gave it 7 out of 10. Commodore Users gave it 5 out of 5. Home Computing Weekly gave it 4 out of 5. Personal Computer Games, 
8 out of 10, your Commodore, 4 out of 5, your computer, 4 out of 5, and then, of course, there's always Zap, and Zap gave it 40%. Um, So it it seemed to be tough to please those guys over at Zap, but all the other, every other major magazine loved this game, Uh, and everybody that I knew that had it also loved this game. Uh, Happy Computer Magazine in 1986 named it number four, uh, the number four best game of 1985. Uh, and Zap even included it in, in number six on their list of the top 64 games, the top 64. Uh, and that was at the end of, of uh, 1985. So they some people there loved it, but uh, uh, apparently some didn't. As far as ports go, uh, I think the Commodore 64 is the best version. Uh, the Apple II version is close. Uh, of course the colors aren't quite as good, but it does have the digitized speech and it does, uh, it has all the parts of the game. So the Apple II version isn't bad. Um, it's also on the Amstrad CPC, the Atari 2600, the MSX. It's on the original Nintendo. Uh, it is available as a PC booter. It's on the Sega master system, the ZX spectrum. Uh, the, uh, the NES version, I believe has some extra scenes and it's, a little bit different. It was released, uh, I think three or four years after all these other ones. So it's been tweaked a little bit. Uh, there are some other Ghostbusters games out there. There's a platform game for the Genesis, but it is different from this game. Um, then of course there was Ghostbusters two, which came out on a lot of eight bit and 16 bit systems, including the Commodore 64. Uh, there, it was a Ghostbusters video game on the uh, PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. There was a PS2 and a Wii version. Uh, and then there was Real Ghostbusters, which was on a lot of different systems. And uh, the Real Ghostbusters was the arcade Ghostbusters game as well. So lots of uh, different Ghostbusters stuff out there uh, for you to enjoy. I checked eBay. If you want a complete copy of this game on cassette... You are in luck. There are lots of them out there, and they seem to sell for between 3 and $6. If you want a loose floppy disk, you could get one for about 5 uh, And a complete disk version was $46, which I don't know if that's up right now due to the impending Ghostbusters movie, but this was a popular game, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that it would be somewhat expensive. And now let's get into my personal memories of Ghostbusters. Well, this is one of the first games I remember playing before I owned a Commodore 64. Uh, I would go over to my friend Andy's house and I went over to Jeff's house and both of those guys had Commodores and I remember both of them had copies. So this is a game that was very popular. Um, you know, a lot of people had copies of it. It was always available on uh, BBSs and stuff. And it wasn't one that you had to copy the entire disc. It was just a single file. Uh, so we played it a lot. Again, I don't know that, uh, we really fully understood the big picture of the game, but it's one of those games where if you just drive around and, and capture ghosts and do that, it's fun enough, you know? So, uh, uh, we definitely enjoyed, uh, playing it. Um, I know more about it now having read the manual, Um, but, uh, you know, again, I mean, it's really just kind of a series of mini games and the mini games are, are, you know, fun enough to enjoy as well. So, uh, but yeah, this is definitely a game that we played a lot as kids. Uh, I enjoy the music. I enjoy the sound and uh, the graphics, everything about it. So it it was, uh, definitely good memories of playing this one. (laughs) 
For graphics, I give this game 4 out of 5 Ray Parker Juniors. Everything is very detailed and, and fun, bright and colorful. For music, I also give it 4 out of 5 Ray Parker Juniors. You get the, the uh, theme at the beginning. You get the words. Uh, you also get the theme uh, during the game when you're driving. Lots of fun. Sound effects, again, 4 out of 5 Ray Parker Juniors. You have different sounds going on. You have the digitized speech. Uh, lots of neat stuff. Overall gameplay, I give this 5 out of 5 Ray Parker Juniors. If you uh, are a Commodore 64 gamer and you haven't checked this game out, this is a must-play game. It's definitely uh, one of the early benchmarks for the system. Lots of fun to play, and uh, yeah, definitely check it out. It's probably one of the best movie license games on the system, and it's fun even if you can't beat it. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the Downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me a game request, feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle, or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows over at robohead.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening, and thanks to all my patrons over at Patreon.com. Now get back to busting ghosts, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. Welcome to Spry Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Fright... Ugh, I messed up the name of my own show. <laughs>